Welcome to Vets to PM's Military Transition Academy podcast, the show where we discuss how to succeed in transitioning from the military service to the civilian workforce. This show and the academy it represents helps veterans transition into meaningful, lucrative post-service careers. Your primary host is Eric Doc Wright, PhD, Certified Manager, Military Veteran, Serial Founder, Best-Selling Business Author, Philosopher, Linguist, and Coach. Your other host is Jeremy Burdick, Project Management Professional, Scrum Master, Product Owner, and Retired Air Force Chief, and the current COO of Vesta PM and the Professional Development Unit University, where we will interview veterans successful in corporate America and business to bring you nuggets of wisdom every episode to make you more successful. Next, let's introduce today's guest. All right, today I've got a treat for you out there. We've got Eric Orient from UPMC. Uh, he's a 22-year Marine and we retired back in 2013. Since leaving the service, he has continuously been engaged with veteran transition matters, both as a vocation and an a vocation. He was recently promoted to the Director of Military and Veteran Affairs for the largest non-governmental employer in Pennsylvania. So without further ado, let's get after it. I always like to talk about that moment where you went from whatever you were, military occupation to whatever you are now, because typically they are diametrically opposed often. Yeah. Okay. So I'll give you the, the Reader's Digest version. So I did uh, 22 years in the Marines. I grew up in the Pittsburgh area and just went into the service because I didn't know what else to do. Uh, I ended up joining the Marines because the recruiter had arms like that. I thought that would be me. Look what happened. Uh, so I, I joined the Marines and um, ended up getting picked up for a commissioning program and went to Penn State. Cool. I did 22 years finishing out as an artillery officer. And um, towards the end of my service, I was realizing that there's no job for an artillery officer if you're looking for that direct correlation. Right? I mean, I think they got guys in Colorado who shoot it, you know, to a mountain size to make avalanches. But other than that, no one needs a howitzer operator. So um, I retired in 2013. And my final assignment was at Penn State University with the ROTC program. And so I just found a position that in was, the, uh, I mean, that was the moment there was trying to figure out, well, what am I going to do next? And I think I was where a lot of people said is, well, I'll do anything because I don't know yet. All I've done is this wear camouflage thing. I don't even know what a civilian position is. I've listened to your podcast before. I didn't speak the language. I didn't know how to interview. I ended up, it was a good job, but I ended up settling because yeah. I, I needed something and I was worried, well, how do you keep the lights on? And so it's been a process for me over the past, I don't know, eight years, nine years to figure out where I belong. And I think I'm close now. Um, and now I finally am with a health plan and doing some things with veteran issues. Good. And I'm glad, Eric, I'm not glad. So let me rephrase that, bro. I'm not glad that it took you eight or nine years, but I think there's a lot of nuance in what you said. You know, when I say, hey, it took me 12 years to transition, people are like, dude, that's like, you're, you were dumb. I mean, I couldn't even get jobs cleaning carpets. I mean, I couldn't even talk about tactically what I could bring somebody. Mm -hmm. You know, well, hey, what do you know how to do? Uh, weld on nuclear power plants on right. submarines. Right. Well, we don't do that here at Cleaning Carpets or Us. Like, right. you know, what, what are you going to do, kid? So it, it took 12 years when I say that, like you said, it, that was to get my bearings and get my legs under me and figure out the new context and what are their customs and courtesies. Like, don't knife hand people out here. Mm -hmm. It freaks them out. 
don't stand with your leg or your feet 45 degrees apart at shoulder width. Like there's just, I couldn't even reacclimate well. And so it took much longer, I think, uh, to do. And so tell me about, uh, uh, so you said where you were at ROTC for a while, right? Yeah. Um, so during that eight or nine years, what kind of clues did you kind of start to figure out? Well, you think? I think well, first I got some great advice from a guy I had no military affiliation at all. And he was, I did an informational interview with him. Uh, I was recommended by someone and I just kept in contact with him. He's a great fella. And he, he gave me terrific advice. He said, Eric, you just spent 22 years wearing a uniform. Don't be surprised if it takes you a while to figure out what's next. And I, he didn't mean for it to be profound, but it stuck with me. And I use that with people all the time of, of course, you don't know. I think about what you, as you were leaving high school, you didn't know what you wanted to do. Well, now you got 20 years or four years, whatever it is, carrying a rifle. And of course, you don't know what's next. So it, it took a while. But I had an, another fellow, he was a Navy captain who, he said, just start listing the things that you enjoy. Go back over your career. Where were you? Uh, was it the location? Was it the people? Was it the mission? What was it that made it enjoyable? And let that sit for a while. Come back to it every couple of weeks. Come back to it until you can start seeing a theme. And that's going to tell you where your priorities are. Were you happiest when you were in Camp Lejeune? Of course, the answer is no, because Camp Lejeune is, is not the greatest <laughs> place. Um, but it, what Surfing's was it? not bad at San Onofre, but... Right. What, what was it? Was it the mission? Was it people? What was it? And for me, just com coming back to purpose and people. and if I had to pick one, I'd pick people over purpose every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Because if you don't like who you're with, and if you don't like what you're doing, it's a hell of a long day. Amen. And all these other things started falling down the list. Pay is important. You got to keep the lights on. Your title matters. Your influence matters, all that. But for me, purpose and people, it, I just kept coming back to that and realizing I have to find that. I'm not going to replicate my Marine Corps tribe. I won't replicate that camaraderie, but I'll get as close as I can to it. And yeah. so it, was, it, it wasn't a, it wasn't a flip, flip of a switch doc. It was over time and trying out different jobs and realizing, you know what this is missing? The people are great, but there's no purpose to it or one or the other. And just trying to keep narrowing that down until I got the right site picture. So you kind of, I love it. So talk about adaptive project management, right? I'm managing the project of transitioning into something that's meaningful and lucrative. So you literally didn't necessarily know what you were looking for, but you would know when the site picture was not clear or you were missing something in the site picture, right? Like, hey, I, I don't know what I'm aiming for, but this ain't it. So I'm going to move the scope to something else, right? So something that often gets talked about on LinkedIn, ad nauseum, oh, network, 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 network. They beat us over the head with the network stick. Now, I'm a big fan of networking. In fact, it's a chapter in the book, How to Network right? How to get mentored, how to get trained. So you said something about the, the guy who said, hey, let yourself off the hook. Because a lot of times we don't. We're type A's. We're used to being successful. We put a lot of pressure on ourselves when really, man, hey, square your head away and your heart and your soul away and like, just get a paycheck. Just give yourself some space to figure out what you look like next, right? The other thing too is network, network, network. Well, that's fine if I even know what kind of dumb questions to ask. Like if I don't know the difference between HR and motor pool and project management who do i network with what questions do i ask them what what companies are the people i'm not you know what i mean i so i think a lot of times we we give we give advice that we think is practical but you're making the operating assumption that the recipient of the message knows has context for what you're 
telling them. Well, I mean, what do you think about that? Considering what you do now for a living and you're nine years out and like, what do you think about all that? Well, you're exactly right. It doesn't matter what you say. It's what people hear, right? Although it's just noise, right? So think, think radios and comms. Are you transmitting? Yes. Is the person receiving? No. So it's noise. Um, I didn't know what to ask in my first informational interview. I ended up apologizing to the guy that I had my informational interview with. I blew it. He was very successful. I took his time and I blew it because he said, what do you want to do? I said, anything, which is like the worst answer ever. But I didn't know any better. And then I ended up apologizing to the Navy captain who set me up with this guy because, you know, he he extended his network to me and I felt like I embarrassed him. I got better and better as I went along. But to your point, uh, I wish that Navy captain would have said, well, Eric, I need you to do some informational interviews and here's what that is. Or I should have done self-study and gone to Google and typed in, what is it? I just didn't know. I thought you met people and asked them for a job and said, I'm a vet. Yeah, everyone's going to hire a vet. I didn't know any better. And so, yeah, we don't, we sometimes give advice, not knowing if people even understand us. Um, but the, what you bring up about the people not knowing how to speak. I, I was at a career fair in Pittsburgh yesterday and my company was a sponsor of it. And I heard a veteran talking to a recruiter who was with, with me. And I kind of interjected myself because that, that veteran wasn't speaking English. They were speaking army. And it was, ah, I mean, it, it was all these joint acronyms and brigade this and regiment that and the recruiter was glossing over because she she wants to help but she has no idea and you know your book right speak civilian fluently use your book use something but figure it out of who you're talking to know what the uniform is for that company know what their vernacular is know their org chart what a vp is there by somewhere else there's all this all this self-study and preparation that needs to go into it before you have those engagements and that's yeah. part of finding a good mentor is someone who's going to say, now, before you talk to Doc, here's what you got to know about Doc. Here's what his organization's about. Here's what his book is about. Here's his podcast. So you don't go into it cold. And we do it all the time in the military, right? But then we forget it, right? You rehearse before you operate. Yeah. Before you ever step out the LD or across the LD, you've done those rehearsals and those rock drills. Amen. This is no different. You know, and, and even that, Eric, you bring up, it's so fundamental. Like it, we almost gloss over it because we assume that the person we're talking to knows what we're talking about because it's like third grade. Like, right, right. so think about when we went through basic, whatever your basic event was, mm-hmm. somebody had to teach you the definition of salute. Then they yeah. had to show you how to tactically execute it. When, with whom, when they're covered, when they're not covered, we're in a combat environment, we're not in a combat, like all the nuance of just saluting. Right. How many feet do you have to be within? Like all, we didn't know that stuff before the basic event. So coming out, when they say P&L, when they say JIT, when they say accounts receivable, AR, like if, if you don't know what that is, you just walk by somebody you should have saluted and you didn't know it. And you're the one that is embarrassed and ashamed or not qualified or not experienced or whatever. And that's all they know. Or they hear us use words like retrograde and austere and things like that. And they know, oh, my God, this guy must be a veteran. And mm-hmm. then they immediately move to what they know from Hollywood. Okay, probably sure. carried a rifle, probably shot somebody's, probably jacked up in the head. No, yeah. thanks. Interview's over. Right, it's right. totally not true. Right. Right? Like, what is it? I don't know what the stat is anymore. But when I was in, I was mechanized infantry in the guard. Like one out of every 99 people is a trigger puller. And everybody else is in support of that one cat. Or whatever it is. I don't know what it is in the core, but you know what I mean? Like we just make assumptions 
and we talked to each other based on these assumptions and, and maybe it was part of my research, you know, grooming, but you got to operationally define the words we're using here in this conversation or somebody could be lost. It, it, it's that basic. Yeah, I, th I think it's, it's almost irrespective of the organization. So I work in a healthcare organization. They have their own lexicon, which I didn't understand because I didn't have healthcare experience. I worked construction for a while. And I remember talking to, it was all high voltage work. And I'm taught, I was a project manager. I remember talking to the, the electrician, Dave. I said, Dave, I don't speak electric. Put it in English. Because he was using words I didn't know. In healthcare, I got to a job and they were talking about DHS. And I thought, what the heck does the Department of Homeland Security have to do uh, with healthcare? Well, yeah. it wasn't. It was a state agency regarding Medicaid. But it was a different set of acronyms. And so we're all in that where we, when you become a professional with whatever it is you're doing, you adopt that language, you adopt that culture, and it's incumbent upon the transmitter to define it or the receiver to ask if they don't understand. Beautiful. So let me ask you this then, because I think you said something again, dude, you're just dropping the wisdom bombs in here. I'm, I'm so glad Kathy got you on the podcast with us, but you said didn't have healthcare experience. Now, wait mm -hmm. a minute, but you also just prefaced that with, I'm a healthcare cat in healthcare, killing it in healthcare. So oftentimes that gets, that just gets made as a general statement too. Well, if you don't have IT experience, you can't possibly be in IT. And, and I just, you know what, Eric, I think that's a bunch of bullshit, right? Cause I, Jeremy and I have literally over the course of the last seven years placed thousands of guys and gals into IT that didn't, couldn't even spell IT the acronym when they were in uniform. It's not what they did. They were jet mechanic, uh, we put them in healthcare, we put them in construction and they were a yeoman in the Navy for mm -hmm. God's sake before construction. I mean, so, so how do you, what do you, a living embodiment of somebody who did go into healthcare with no healthcare experience, how can a vet pick that up then? I mean, we're, we've got an aptitude to learn something fast and technical. We did it all through our schools. What's the secret, man? How do you, how do you be the optimistic proponent and say, okay, dude, you may not know how to spell healthcare. You may not know what DHS is, but here's a couple links. You need to go read stuff this weekend. What would you prescribe? So this is going to be a long answer. I'll come, I'll, I'll get there. Good, good, good. You can edit it if it's too long. Uh, but you know, I mean, JB, how many, how, how many podcasts did you host when you were in the Air Force? None, but you've, zero, right? <laughs> you've figured out how to do it because to your point, Doc, right? Now, now we'll go Hollywood cliche, improvise, adapt, and overcome or whatever Clint Eastwood wants to say in Heartbreak Ridge. We can learn, right? And I made this point uh, to my company of to why, why recruiting and retaining veterans is important. You want to talk about folks who are highly adaptable, who are used to OJT. I mean, how long did you ever hold the same job in the military before you got promoted out of it, your PCS, mission changed? So it's constant. Like you learn it and you master it and you move on. And so we're kind of used to that battle rhythm. Now, I mean, pick any industry where you find a veteran and you ask them, did you start there? Well, no, of course. They started in the Army. They started in the Marines or in the Navy. And we all, even all the people who are professional healthcare folks, they didn't have that experience when they were in high school. So we recognize this, that humans are learning beings and we have the capacity to take on new responsibilities, master it, grow and develop. And, but how you get there, I think, is you have to be able to sell yourself which is hard for a lot of veterans to do because it's always the men, not me, right? Uh, you know, kind of gender neutral when I say that, of course, but it's, you, you don't talk about yourself. And so it's uncomfortable for us to say, 
I can do this. Here's who I am. Here are my skills. We're just not accustomed to doing that. But you got to be able to sell yourself. And you also got to find someone who's willing to take a gamble and say they're, they're going to hire on character, not necessarily on credentials. And I mean, recognize this, every hire, every new hire is a gamble. You never know what you're going to get. Well, if I have to gamble on something, I'm going to gamble on character. Someone who will come to work, someone who's dedicated, someone who gets the mission done no matter what. I'll put my money there before I will on some certification. It might be from a diploma mill or bogus or fabricated on a resume. And I was fortunate that I've been able to find fellow veterans typically who will make a connection for me, introduce me to someone and say, Eric doesn't have healthcare experience, but I'd like to, you to talk to him and here's why. So I always advocate, advocate getting a guy on the inside. It's, it's helpful. Then you get a deliberate look. You know, you've heard this stuff before where like a recruiter will spend six seconds on a resume. Maybe, but not if it's hand walked to their desk by someone they trust. That's then they give it a real look. So okay. it's, it's getting that inside angle that's really important. You know, and something you said about credentials. So I, I'm sure you know what we do for a living. Yeah. And, and here's what a lot of people often mistake about us at Vets to PM too. And the concept of provable fluency. I'm not ever going to make the ridiculous argument that because you have an APHR or a PMP or a insert hottest credential going today, I'm not ever going to make the ridiculous argument that because somebody presents to me with that piece of paper, they're that kind of professional. That'd be dumb. It'd be egregious professionally to hire like that. However, if their resume and their LinkedIn profile is chock full of the key words, duties, tasks, knowledge, concepts that they would need in that job, I don't frankly care what they did three jobs ago because I'm going to train them how to do the job I have for them. So I don't care what your occupation used to be. Right. And I don't care what credentials you have unless I see value and valid value in the words and the certificate is simply a piece of evidence or a fact that I can hire. So on my gut, I feel like I'm talking to the right professional. And oh, by the way, so I'm hiring on pathos, but here's a little bit of logos to back that up. The evidence is they have a piece of paper that says they are. So I agree with critics who say, oh my God, you know, you get this credential, that credential, you're not that professional. No, you got to be that professional. But if you've translated your experience and you realize you are that professional, and so even if you were a first shirt or a top sergeant, but now you realize you're an HR professional, then legitimately confidently step onto that X and say, yeah, you damn straight, I'm an HR professional. Here's a certification to a resume that sounds like an HR professional. That's a much different proposition than, hey, here's my piece of paper, right? That's exactly right. Yeah, I, I spoke to an Air Force vet not too long ago. She was getting out as an E8. And I asked her MOS and I, you know, I speak Marine, not Air Force. So I don't know what it was, but it was, she said, well, I'm HR. And I said, well, tell me your billet description. She did. And I said, no recruiter is going to know what that means. Okay. But what they do recognize is the what is it, SHRM or whatever that certification is. They'll recognize it. Let me tell you a way to get that for free and get it as a vet. Because while we want to hire vets, no one's going to hire you just because you are a vet. So you got to demonstrate something else. And so you can say, I did my 20 years in the Air Force. Now they know you can lead, you can manage, you have values that match our organizations. But you also show, I've done some self-study. I got my PMP. I got my HR certification. I got an IT certification. Something that's recognized in the industry. So now it's less and less of a gamble every step of the way. 
You yeah. show that you're a professional, you're interested in that organization. Nice. So they're still taking a gamble. You can't mitigate it, but you can, you can't, you can't take it away, but you can mitigate it to the point of where, Hey, that risk is tolerable. Like I, yeah. I'm pretty dang sure I, I I'm hiring a good candidate. So, so tell us a little bit about the organization. So what do you, when you say, Hey, I'm an healthcare guy now, like what does that look like here? Okay. So my company is UPMC. It's the largest non-governmental employer in Pennsylvania. It's, it's giant. Uh, started off really well, of course it's grown, okay, but now it's what's called an IDFS, which is Integrated Delivery and Finance System, which means we have hospitals, we also have the insurance component of it. Some groups do one or the other, but we, we do both, and that enables us to be very large. Uh, I'm in the insurance services part of that. Just think, you know, DOD is huge, but there's the Navy and there's the Marines and all, all these different components. So we have different components. We have about five different divisions. Mine is insurance services division, UPMC health plan with the, you know, the cloth I'm wearing here. Um, but it, it's headquartered in Pittsburgh, uh, but it's a regional presence. It's huge in Pennsylvania. Uh, it's the top player. And what we want to do is we want to be, be the choice for veterans who are in Pittsburgh or in Pennsylvania. We want to be the number one choice uh, in best-in-class service. And, and I, I, I won't speak ill of my organization. That'd be what's called a career-limiting move if I did that. Uh, but, you know, I think a lot of groups talk about how they're military friendly and maybe they can get a designation that says that. But if it's just words on a wall, if it's just a phrase on a website, it doesn't matter. And you, your reputation will get around if you're just someone who says it, but you don't do it. And so over the past couple months, there have been some, some great executives who've bought into this and said, if we're going to do it, let's be all in and let's do it right. And so it isn't just recruiting. It's also retention. It's professional development within the organization. It's joint training opportunities with the military. It's embracing the skill bridge program. It's work opportunity tax credits. It's product development. I mean, it's, it's huge. If you really want to be in the military veteran space, it's not, just, it's not just a good thing to do. It's the right thing to do from a business perspective. And I mean, let's be honest, altruism only goes so far. And a business exists to make money or to meet their mission. And if all these additive things just sound good, but it really doesn't get to their bottom line, they won't do it. And so I, I was fortunate to be able to talk to a number of folks who said, let's do it and let's do it right. And so we really want to be positioned that we're going to be that choice for veterans. Um, we just got approved to, to be a skill bridge provider. So we're just dipping our toe in the water. Right. I know you all feel strongly about that. Um, and, and we're just going to continue to grow and do this better and better. It's a, you know, frankly, it's a competitive advantage. Mm -hmm. As a CEO and as an old business professor, and you know, I've started several organizations. A couple of them have failed. Started a nonprofit. I mean, it's a competitive advantage to have a workforce that's highly trained, highly capable, highly intelligent, highly autonomous, make own decisions. I mean, it's just it's a competitive advantage which translates to P and L performance. Yes. Strip it all away. I mean, that's like you said. That's what we're talking about at the end of the day, right? We're not a nonprofit. We have one singular mission. Make the money. Now, you got to make the money taking care of your customers, providing the goods and services you promised them you would provide. Because if you don't, they'll vote with their dollars and go somewhere else. Right. So to me, that's another cool thing about business too, is you don't have to wonder about whether you're doing any good in the world. If people keep voting for you with their bucks, you're crushing it. If they aren't, you better figure something else or, or, or go do something else for a living. You know what so I mean? Yeah, you don't grow if you're no good, and uh, you don't grow without good people. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So JB, my friend, let's get you in here, dude. Yeah, yeah. Questions, comments, thoughts, brother. Well, no, I loved it. I loved it. I didn't want to butt in because you guys were just killing it. And there was so much wisdom from, you know, I heard a little Shannon Weaver communication model rolling in there from the PM side. And then I also heard, um, you know, the altruism and, you know, I got to be honest with you, for profit's not an evil word. If you can't turn a profit, that means you can't help the next vet coming down the line either. You can't keep faith and longitudinally help many, many people. So I do think it's important. Um, and it forces you be, to be a steward of those uh, financial dollars or that revenue. And if you're not a financial steward, you'll go under. You know, for profits, you're, you're grinding away and making it happen. So I, I like that you guys brought that up. The other thing um, that was, you know, you, Really, Eric, some really great nuggets of wisdom on, and Doc's got the same thing. He talks about, hey, what do you want to do, right? What is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? And what did you like about your past that you want to bring in? And go do more of that. Do less of the stuff that you don't like. Do more of the stuff that you do like. Uh, it's the pleasure pain pain uh, thing. So, I mean, I, I'm I'm part of the audience here. I'm watching you two cats get after it, and I thought it was uh, really really good. So well done so far. To, to your point, JB, we um, and you you both are evidence of this. We we all do our best when we're doing something we love. Right? There, how many jobs have we all had that we didn't like and we did okay at them? Maybe we did well at them, but boy, when you love what you're doing, like there's no stopping you. And and all those other priorities get less and less and less. I, I care less about pay if I love what, what I'm doing. If I don't love what I'm doing, at least pay me to do something I hate. <laughs> that's but, right. Uh, but we excel when we do what we like. And that's also part of what an employer needs to do is find the right fit. Um, but I, I hope the woman who hired me listens to this, this podcast because I'll tell you what I said in, in my interview with her. And I can't believe I said it. And I can't believe she hired me. She said, why this job? And I said, I'm brand new to healthcare. I don't know if this is the right job for me. I know the organization is right. It's large enough uh, that there's room for me to find a home here, but I can't comment on this specific job because I've never done anything like it. And to her credit, she took a gamble on me. I wasn't the right fit for that position, but I was the right fit for the organization. So she took a gamble for the benefit of the organization and it paid off for the organization. Um, but you know, that's, that's the role of a good employer, whether it's a small company or a large company, is if you get the right people, I think, I think Colin Powell said this, get, get the right people on the bus, then you figure out where you're going. Yeah. You get the right people, you will find where they belong and you place them where they excel and turn them loose. Then they're a fire and forget weapon. Just yep. let them go. And so I was fortunate that that happened with me, that people took that gamble and then allowed me to kind of search around until I found the right home in the organization. You know, so I'm going to, I'm going to marry that Eric with something you said a little earlier about, okay. So there's Jeremy, we should do another episode on this, the top seven list or whatever. There's, there's about six or seven things that vets do or do not do that sink our ship. They allow our reputation to precede us. One is I don't talk about me and my contributions. I talk about the team. You've already mentioned that, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So here's something every employer knows. So for all of you listening out there in podcast land, here's something every hiring manager already knows. I know you did it through a team, 
There's almost nobody in any organization of any size anymore in our globally connected post-COVID blah, blah, blah world who does anything on their own. Everybody does stuff to teams. So if I'm trying to discern whether you're a good fit for my team and my organization, as Eric's hiring manager was, I don't care what they did. I know that you led and directed others to do the work. But what did you do? What value did you bring to that process and that outcome? You can tell me about that. So there's the first myth, Vets. Get comfortable talking about yourself. You don't have to walk in there like some braggadocious punk, but you need to be able to say, hey, here's what I can do, and here's the value that you will reap because of that. The other thing, too, is how do you say that, make that value proposition in a manner that is authentic. And Eric, I think you nailed it. I mean, I know why she hired you, brother. I haven't asked her over a cup of coffee, but she saw an authentic, courageously candid, mature employee that gave her a no shit answer. I can work with that. I've got a responsible, accountable adult who can communicate bad information, even if it's detrimental. I can bet on it. I can take what they say to me to the bank. Yeah, I mean, you know how many employees she probably has hired or has working for her right now that she has to babysit? <laughs> so that was probably re rather refreshing. So it may have been a detrimental question, but, you know, I think it was courageously candid for you to say that, right? I mean, good on you. I'm just not clever enough to lie. <laughs> good, good, good answer. So what other things, Eric, in your experience now, you know, taking your nine years to transition and now being a healthcare, you know, guru. And, and I love how you said, Hey, you know, the execs are all in on this. Yeah. So they're out of my way. I'm executing like the strategy says this stuff's in it and it's not lip service. Like we're doing it. So what things or what advice could you give vets? Hey, do these couple things. Hey, say these couple things. So that employers like you that say, hey, we love vets around here, and it's not just a plaque on a wall over in a conference room. What things can they say or demonstrate that make the Eric's of the world kind of the radar go up and go, hey, I think I got one I can fit. Maybe not here, maybe not for me, but I know somebody down the hallway is looking. I'll get your resume on their desk. What couple things could you share? Perhaps most important, I, I was thinking about this a lot driving yesterday, is find a coach, not a cheerleader, find a coach. Right? And we all know the difference. Cheerleader tells you what you want to hear. Coach tells you what you need to hear. And he's going to beat you up at practice. He's going to talk harshly to you in the locker room because he wants you to win. He wants the team to win. You need a coach who will speak to you candidly, who will point you in the right direction of saying, you know, your resume, it, it's no good. I can't fix it, but I know who does, and I'm going to point you there. Someone who will get you really aligned with the right people the right way to sell yourself, having all your products ready, who will tell you how to rehearse and research a company. Uh, I'm sorry, rehearse for an interview or research a company. Having that coach, not a cheerleader again, is, is really, really key. And when you do that, then you get to the point where you know how to dress, you know how to talk, you know how to apply, you know what to put for your, your salary expectations. Your resume speaks to you about you not your team. Doc, I read one today where the guy never mentioned him. It was his team did this, his team did that. And I talked to the recruiter and she says, but what about him? I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy that we're talking about this today. Um, but you get all those things aligned and it starts with having the right person as a coach. And that, it might be you, JB. It might be you, Doc. It, who knows who it is, but find someone you can trust and, and they'll get you on the right track. 
Like you know, that. and you've mentioned this a couple of times. So how did you learn to do this? Cause they don't teach us in this, any of the academies I ever went to or the leadership schools or whatever, sell yourself, sell yourself, sell yourself, tell your story. A lot, a lot. I mean, I've heard you say that a couple of times. A lot of people say it, you know, it's almost ubiquitous. Hey, be able to sell yourself, be able to tell your story. And the, the rub is if you get up there and talk about me, 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 they don't care, care, care. It's about them, them, them. So your story better tell me how you are going to help me. I don't care what you want to do when you grow up. I could care less. I want to know what you're going to do for me and my company to make me a rock star, not you. Okay, so how does a vet who's never been formally trained on how to sell ourselves and knowing we have the impediment of we've been told the opposite, don't talk about it. How do you learn to do that? You got any good books or any good TEDx talks or any videos or anything seminal in your ability to learn to sell yourself because jeremy tells good stories on the podcast uh i've been known to tell stories once in a while i mean how do you learn to do that what could you recommend as somebody who's in the business of picking good ones and sniffing out bad ones i mean i keep beating the same drum here i i gotta i have a couple good mentors okay um and one of them is my brother-in-law he got out of the service uh after a couple years active duty and, and he's an executive and I'd, I'd run things by him and say, what do you think about my resume? And he'd wire brush me. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't nice about it. Um, when I'd, I'd say, how are you going to answer this question? And I, I'd tell him, he says, that's no good. And he made the point that you're making doc of yes, mention yourself, but what the employer cares about is how take the second part of that statement. You can do this, but what does it do for them? Right? What is the value you bring to their organization? Because they're not going to hire you because you're a vet. They're not going to hire you because uh, they, they, their dad was a vet or anything. They want to know what's the value you bring to them and how can you increase their business. And so what you have to be able to do is finish that phrase of here's who I am, here's what I've done, here's what I'm about, and here's how I think that can help your team. And if you don't do that last part, you have a good conversation, but you don't get an offer. Right? That's how you got to close that loop. And so for me, it was my brother-in-law who was a mentor. I used American Corporate Partners and got an excellent mentor from there. He's an all-star um, and just a number of veterans who've gone before me. Um, that To me, that's worked. I like to find someone who's gone there before me. It's one of those uh, Murphy's Rules of Combat, never go somewhere for the first time. So find someone who's done it before. There's always someone smarter than us who succeeded where we want to go, and I seek them out for guidance, just like you would a, uh, an uncle or a dad or somebody. It's so, cool. amen. And I, so I love it. So, you know, sell yourself, tell your story. Okay. Kind of esoteric tactically. How do I execute that in my interview next Tuesday? Finish the statement. I love it, Eric. It's so simple. I mean, even I could do it, dude. It's third grade. I got, I got lines now that I can color in. Finish mm -hmm. the statement in terms of here's what I can do. And here's how it will help you. Here's how it will bring you value. Just that means that when I say something, it's going to be meaningful and have weight to it because they're hearing what they need to hear. They're hearing, oh, this guy can help me thrive and survive, right? Yeah, and that's what, what they're after. The doc, doc, you don't get there if you don't do some of the self-study. If, if you don't know anything about that business, then you can't finish the statement because then you say something vague like, and I'll help you accomplish the mission, which means nothing, right? So what you have to do is it, it, the preparation is don't go into something cold. Know what that business is about. 
do some spying or cyber stalking or whatever you want to do. Figure out who the players are, figure out what their business operation is, how they make their money, how they determine success, what their metrics are. And that's how you finish that statement. You got to tie into that. Because if you finish a statement with something that doesn't align with their version of success, it's also a miss. I mean, it's, I, I've, I was an artillery guy. I always talk about how this is fire support. Find your target. Is it a point target? Is it an area target? What weapon, what munition is going to put effects on that target? And if you pick the wrong munition, it's not a hit. If you aim at the wrong target, it's not a hit. And so it, it's weapon earring or fire support or whatever you want to call it. That's my, my simple mind. That's how it works. Well, you mean I don't get any credit for participation? I don't get any, I don't get any credit for trying? Uh, what? Not much, no. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, you, you'll get a thank you for your service at a, at a July 4th parade. Uh, but yeah. it's not going to get you to where you want to go with meaningful employment or lucrative employment. And but no that. paycheck. And, and it's always bad, too, when we see guys. I mean, we see guys vertical. I'll talk to an E8. I'll talk to an 04. They've been out a month. You talk to them again in three months because they didn't do statistically what you know works. Hey, just follow the plan. Sir, I'm sure you got lessons learned for me. Tell me all about it after you've succeeded. When mm -hmm. you're making 95000 a year, come back and tell me how to do it better next time. I got it. But until then, follow the same prescription that thousands of other people have and enjoy some success and then figure it out on the back end. So just, uh, you know, I, I think that's big is how do you, it's, you just got to follow the process. You got to get it done. You got to check some blocks and then figure out where you're going next. Right. Uh, JB, sorry. I, I think I stepped on you, bro. No, man. I just was going to say that, you know, as you finishing it up that, and you don't, if you don't make that connection, you don't show them that value during that interview. Um, and if you don't have that inside angle, that's when you get those letters that say, hey, thanks a lot. We've hired a more qualified candidate or, mm -hmm. hey, you may be overqualified for this position, whether they, you really were or not. And you likely were overqualified, but uh, ultimately you didn't show them enough big V value mm -hmm. for their position to offset your salary. You know, so uh, that, that's really the onus when you even back to the very beginning is you can be transmitting, but if they're not receiving value out of it, you're on the wrong channel. Breaker, breaker, swap channel. Let's get some uh, communication going. Yeah, I, I heard, as I was driving yesterday, I was listening to a couple of your podcasts and uh, I hadn't heard the S and the V equation before. And I thought that's exactly right. right? Like your value better exceed the salary or it's just right. a miss. That's right. You got to yeah. do that right. Wow. So you, you did your homework. You did a little prep. <laughs> I did. And it shows. And it shows. You're, you're, I mean, it's amazing. It's a really cool conversation. Uh, the, uh, the other thing I was thinking about is, you know, I don't, I don't know what they call it on all the services. In the Marine Corps, they call it a monitor. In the Navy, they call it a detailer. Uh, you know, the person who moves you around. Sometimes it's your XO or your sergeant major. You're always told where to go, what duty station, what to apply for. And that person, that, like, it, it's a bottleneck. And, and that's where all the information comes from. And so we're not trained very well to be our own advocate or our own agent or detailer or whatever we want to call it. And so you got to do that follow-up on your own and, and drive this process, not the apply and hope, not talk to a recruiter who says, send me your resume. I'll source that around. And, and then you just let that happen, right? It's that follow-through, whether it's what, whatever it is, uh, whatever sport it is or activity, follow-through is as important as the action. So yeah. we've got to drive it and we've got to follow through if we ever want to make sure that we achieve success on this. For sure. And I've found that with, I mean, here's where I am with what I do with veterans. 
is I, I don't know how many dozens I talk to on a regular basis, but the ones who keep coming back to me and keep asking me for follow-up and saying, what can I do better next time? Do you have any feedback on how this went? Those are the ones that I find myself advocating the loudest for. And it's not to get them off my back. It's because they show genuine interest in their own future. And so we have to own this as a veteran community or just as an individual. The, you're nobody's priority except for your own. And all good intentions aside, right? I want to help everyone I can, but life gets in the way and I have competing priorities. But, but I'll always be worried about me. And so we have to do that. We have to own our own future and say, if I want to succeed here, I'm going to find my connections. I'm going to do my self-study. I'll prepare my resume, but I'm driving this thing. And I'm not going to let anyone else do it for me because you can easily fall by the wayside. And I, it just happens for me. I don't know if I'm right in how I do this or not, but those are the guys and gals that I advocate the loudest for because I say, here's, here's Nicole. She keeps coming back to me every couple of weeks with asking for updates and what, what she, can she do? And she's always in my head then. And so when an opportunity comes along, that's who, that's who I say you should consider Nicole for. And when Mr. Orient gives you some feedback that you may or may not think that was warranted or germane to you, like, but you didn't read the same resume I wrote. That, that stuff was fantastic. Hey, man, if we're telling you something, it's because we love you and we care. Mm -hmm. And if you can, I mean, I know we all have thick skin. We all came out of the same incubator, right? Like, hey, the feedback Coach, not cheerleader. I love that line, Jeremy. That's one of the episode monikers right there. He nailed yeah. it. That's a tweet right there. For sure. I'm here to give you the feedback that you need to hear and incorporate so that you can go crush the next interview. Because mm -hmm. I'm not here for you to love me and be think it's not a popularity contest. I tell people all the time, I am here to help you stack the deck so the folks looking at you and your resume hire you. They don't owe you anything. And you've mentioned that a couple of times, Eric, they don't owe you anything, but I do believe that because you raised your right hand and most of them didn't, you sure do deserve, deserve a fair shot. Yeah. You don't deserve anything like a job, but you deserve a fair shot, but mm -hmm. you got to do the hustle. You got to put the shot on the goal or it ain't going in. Yeah. Right. So take the feedback, incorporate it so that you can get better and nail the next one. Yeah. Right. I heard two weeks ago, the difference between folly and wisdom is preparation. And you've really hammered that point home, right? Prepare, nice. prepare, prepare. Know exactly what you're doing. You would never go into a hot LZ not doing some homework right. on who it is shooting at you, what their gun sounds like, what the bad guy's uniform look like. You know, I mean, you do a little bit of homework before you go into an engagement and submitting your resume is engagement step one. Right. So before you submit it, you should probably know a little bit about that duty description and how you match up to it. So I love it. Well, well th there's the miss over and over again, JB, is resumes that are so generic that you know, people think they can apply to any job. No one's hiring for anything. Right. When you when you say that in an interview, what do you want to do? Anything. Well, I don't have a job for anything. Thanks so much for your service. Uh, <laughs> but I'm sure you all have seen those resumes, too, where it is not at all aligned with the position. So the, the munition doesn't match the target. Right? Amen. And, and so you have, and it's a pain in the neck. I think probably most of us have done it where, man, you got 20 versions of your resume. Here's my project management one. Here's my communications one. Here's my curriculum development one, but you have to do it. And, and what other people don't like, what people often don't like to hear is that getting a job is a full-time job. 
And yes. so if you want a minimum wage job, put a minimum amount of effort into it and, and you'll probably get it. But if you want to find something lucrative, well, you better put a lot of effort into that uh, and earn it. And, yeah. and it, it just doesn't happen by accident. That was a hit right there. Ugh. You want a minimum wage job, that's, that's doing your one anything resume. Yeah. That's the, the one shot took me $10 for an hour. Boom. Good to go. I know I had no less than 20. Yeah. You hit that number. I mean, I think that should be a goal for anybody listening, get your 20 different resumes and make them targeted to position descriptions that you want to do that are speaking to you. Someone described it to me of, you know, you have your base order and then you have your fragmentary orders. And they said, make your, your resume like your base order. This thing should be incredibly long. List everything you've ever done, everything. Um, and then you frag off of that, depending on the job. So I have my, my PM section that I can pull or my general leadership management section that I can pull. So my, my base resume may be five, six pages, but I'll pare that down to a page and a half or two, depending on what the job is. And I only pull out the relevant sections. That's right. What you often see on resumes too is things that are... They might be important and interesting to me, but if nobody cares, I don't need to include it. Right? Um, it was something I'm proud of, but if it isn't aligned, no one's going to look at that and say, I need to hire Eric because he was a volunteer for Toys for Tots. This job isn't about Toys for Tots, so I should put something else. That's right. Wow. And it, and you know, I, I mean, I hate to sound so callous, but I'm not even an HR professional, but I've hired a couple hundred people in my career. I, you can spot an anything resume in mm -hmm. about three sentences flat. Right, right. You know what I mean? Like, which means, which instantly tells me lots of things about you. Minimum wage preparation. Mm -hmm. You didn't research the job. You didn't research the company. You didn't find me on LinkedIn and figure out who I was and what makes me tick and what I might be looking for. Like, again, you're not making it about me. So when I read your anything resume, I see nothing in it that speaks to me because it can't help me. And Donald Miller, so a good marketing book that applies to life in general, I think in business, is Marketing Made Simple by a guy named Donald Miller. And here's the basic thesis of his book. You need to be able to explain to the person you're talking to how you can help them either survive life or thrive life. Mm -hmm. Pick. So mm -hmm. that's what you're doing with the resume. If you, if you interview me, I can help you. If you interview me and you think I'm a good fit, when can I start? Cause I can help you. I mean, it, it should be that, that linear. It should be that simple. Right. Yeah. And, and don't we want to make people's decisions easy for them? So if, if someone has to dig through my resume or really question what I said in an interview and try and interpret it so that maybe it can be a fit, that's too much work. Think about the workload that recruiters have. Let, let me give you a crazy statistic. You aren't going to believe me when I tell you this. UPMC, right. Has 13,000 open jobs right now, 13,000, okay? 540 of them are in insurance services division where I work, but 13,000. We don't have 13,000 recruiters. So recruiters have this massive caseload. They're trying to juggle that. And when they look at JB's resume and they have to spend time trying to see, is this a fit? It goes in the no pile. But if it's aligned and they can say, this job needs eight years of project, ex project management experience. And JB has project manager and it lists eight years. That's a fit, goes in the keep pile. And so it, it goes to that preparation and doing things right, making an easy decision, showing people how they can strive or how they can thrive in their position. We've got to make it easy for people if we want to succeed.
yeah. you know, and I'm sure there's people listening like, man, this is a bunch of BS. Like the system is rigged against me. Like, this isn't fair. Hey man, the objective is not to hire you. If I've got interviews next week for a critical position that needed filled last week, I've got 70 plus resumes. My first objective is to make 70 a manageable 15 right, right. that I'm going to call to set up interviews. So I just start with the criteria. You got to have a four-year degree in X. You got to have this credential. You got to have this thing. I'm looking for the very first resume I see with those minimum criteria. The minute I see it, it goes in the short stack. If I continue through that pile and I see something that has the three plus another one, I add that. The first one goes on the floor with the rest of them, and that one becomes the gold standard. Now, man, I can make 72 resumes, a stack of 15 and 14 minutes flat, and I still get to go to lunch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, like I'm not trying to be a jerk. And I'm not saying that this is how they, and I don't want to get sued for fair labor practices, but you know what I'm saying? Like, you got you to gotta make people's job easy. You got to make their decision making easy. Your criteria is to get that resume to go from big stack to short stack so you can get to the interview, so that you can get a solid interview done, so that you can get the position. It's linear. It's steps. If you try to go from start to finish all in one step, man, with an anything resume and low preparation, I mean, you probably aren't going to hit a lot of targets. Yeah, for sure. And think about this for the military folks that are listening that are still in. The reason they do this is the same reason you did it for awards packages. Mm -hmm. You could look at 20, 30 bullets and know exactly who this cat is. And every one of them has great bullets. It doesn't mean that they were any less of a person. But the ones that really stand out, stand out quickly. And so I can take a stack of a thousand folks, reduce it down to the top 10%. Now we're only going to worry about these top 10%. So this happens in the military. We just call it awards and decorations, promotions, um, you know, whatever, special assignments. So it's happening. So it's not smoke and mirrors just to the civilian world. You knew how to write in the military. You knew how to make yourself stand out in the military. You can do that again in the civilian world, but you're going to have to redefine your process. And like Eric says, you're going to have to know that nomenclature. You're going to have to figure out what is business value to them. What does success look like in that civilian position? And instead of, you know, a couple known positions for your specialty or generalization, you know, every Marine's rifleman style, you're going to have to really do some research and find out what about that particular snowflake position. Make yourself look good for that one so that you get the de- decoration for that position. Mm-hmm. So it's good. Man, it's really good stuff as we unpack this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think another thing that, that folks need to consider is uh, you're going to have some misses along the way, right? Um, if you swing for the fences, you get some misses, but you also get a home run every now and again, right? And and so don't be surprised if you fall short. It's your first time out of the gate. You've never done this before. What if you miss? Okay, right? That, that's all right. But that's, of course, that's how we all learn and develop. Uh, and so it might take a while, but that's, that's challenging. Uh, some great advice I got from my, my American Corp Partners mentor. He said, don't settle, Eric. And you know what I did? I settled. Uh, not for my current job, but another one because I thought I, I need something. I was so anxious. I would have felt like I was a failure if I had a single minute gap in employment um, because I'm a veteran. I should be able to get a job. I know what I'm doing. Uh, I couldn't imagine not succeeding. And so I took something because it was there. Uh, when what I should have done is listened and not settled and played the long game on this. And it might take a while to find that right alignment. Now, clearly, if, if you need the money, 
get a job, pay the bills, keep the lights on, but don't stop searching. And your first job won't be your last. And it just might take a while to get it right. Um, but you'll, I think, uh, you know, you settle once, you settle twice, you settle three times, you lose yourself along the way, and then you're not the man or woman or veteran you wanted to be. So you got to keep at it. You know, and there's another veteran myth that you just unpacked, Derek. Like, we're raised on words that, that mean things deeply, like honor and mm -hmm. courage and commitment and loyalty and responsibility and accountability. I mean, those things aren't like platitudes on a conference room wall for people that wore the nation's cloth. Right. We raised our right hand and said, those are the things that we're going to live, right? So that sets a lot of vets up too for failure. Like just because you start with some first gig out of uniform, if that place sucks, if some other place will pay you more money to come win a pennant with them, freaking go win a pennant with them. You got to let that concept of loyalty until the very end like go in the civ div it is not it is not uncommon to see cats with 12 18 24 36 months on their resume as long as you can in an interview logically answer and prove to me that you were trading up because you learned how to punch above your weight class every time you went up and wait that's the kind of person i'm looking for that's the kind of person that can adapt and i can train and i can promote and i can you know what i mean mm -hmm. so companies don't look at loyalty the way that we've been raised to look at it. So don't stay in a position that you realize you settled for if you find yourself in that position. Right. And the second thing too, Eric, is you don't have to answer this brother. This might be a little too candid, but I wonder if someone who takes something they settle for, I wonder if the amount of time, effort, and energy to then extricate themselves from that morass is more than it would have been in the preparation time and the advance to just hang in there a little longer and prepare a little bit tougher and get what you wanted the first time. I, I mean, I don't, it's interesting that you would bring that up. What do you think? You're right. Um, but, but I think there's more to that, right? So it's, it's not just the time it takes to extricate from it. It's the time you spend in it, you know, in the day to day of like, what, what was I doing? Uh, you know, Choose right the first time if you can, right? We accept what we have to for the realities of our life, uh, but get where you want to go and don't waste time on the interim. Just no point in doing it. Wow, no uh, value add to anybody. Wow. Yeah, you, when you were talking about you know, kind of like don't judge your, uh, maybe, I, maybe I created this on my own, but when you're talking about, you know, you get in something, you don't like it, that doesn't define you or doesn't define the organization. You know, we often talk about this gap between the civilian and the military community. I don't think it's as broad as we like to make it sometimes. There's so much that we have in common. I think about guys who get in the service and they get their first gig in the Navy and they hate their chief. And they say, Navy sucks. I hate it. He said, well, you've been in six months. Navy's pretty big. Uh, there are a lot of different duty stations. Why don't you not, not cast judgment yet? And it's the same thing with an organization is you got to get into it and really feel it out and not judge an organization or an industry based on a very, very small set of circumstances. If people were to ask me to define the, the corporate culture at my company, I would try. But my vision of it, my understanding of it will be completely different from someone in a different department. You got to get out there and experience it and kind of shop around and see what's, what's in an organization to, feel, feel, to see if you like it. Uh, I, I did want to bring this up because I, I think it really speaks to how companies can do this right. And so, you know, of course, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to speak highly of my company. 
um, because I do believe in what they're doing. But what we've tried to do is take this big, big process and make it small. So when I said 13,000 jobs, that's, that's no joke, 13,000. Imagine yourself as an applicant who has no understanding of this industry at all. And you try and navigate that. And you don't know how to do your resume. So you apply for the wrong job. You put the wrong salary expectation. You don't have the years of experience. And you keep getting put in that reject pile, right? As JB is trying to narrow down that pile, neck it down to something manageable. You keep getting rejected. So what we have at, at my company, <clears throat> and we're not unique in this, is we have a program called Pathways for Veterans, where if you apply through this, you send an email to the right service account, you're going to get connected with me or a recruiter who will give you a personalized look. And we're going to talk to you and we're going to say, Doc, don't apply yet. Tell me the jobs you're interested in and let me look at them. Send me your resume. Don't apply. Now, that's really tough to get people to do, right? Because they need a job. They want to apply. But we're asking them to have some tactical patience here. And let's get you aligned so that when it is time to apply, everything is ready to go. You've been, your resume is ready. We've talked to you about the job. Uh, you're definitely qualified. They're still accepting applicants. You know a little bit about the company and the personalities. When we've done that, we have 85% success, not of getting people hired, okay, but of getting them to a hiring manager where they get a shot. But when we don't do that and people just do the, here's more military vernacular, just, just the spray and pray, good luck. All right? We have no way to track how that happens, but you got to get aligned with the right job within an organization. And you need someone on the inside to do it. That's what we're trying to do here. I think everybody should do it if they can. I first heard about it from a financial services company, the BNY Mellon, where they had a recruiter who was specifically doing this. He said, every veteran resume comes to me so I can take a look at it. And I thought, that's how we got to do it. Yeah. Everybody appreciates that personal touch. We're all people, so of course we do. And we don't want to be victim to uh, a software application that screens us out or something. We need someone on the inside. It's the right way to do it. And it's good for the company. It's good for the personnel hiring. It's good for the company. It's good for the person getting hired. I mean, that's quite a statistic, my friend. 85%. I mean, that's commendable. That's yeah. pretty. I hope, I hope some of you out there in MTA Podcast Nation heard that and you have influence in your companies and or decision-making input and you can help your company adopt some good things that that incorporates we love veterans instead of just says we love veterans yeah. i mean connect with eric i mean you you heard it the guy's been dropping wisdom nuggets since we started i had to turn the camera on early to make sure we caught everything so he didn't leave anything out of the message so um yeah that's good stuff man 85 percent. that's commendable brother how did they get to you again what was the best way well so the, the email address is pathways for veterans at upmc.edu. And yeah. that goes right to me and another recruiter. And when she can't understand the a resume, because it has too many acronyms in it, she passes to me, says, Eric, what is this? Uh, but we work together and we just have a team that looks at these. And sometimes I see a resume that I don't understand. JB, I got one from an Air Force guy. I didn't understand anything on it. So I hit up my buddy at the company who's an Air Force vet. And he says, Eric, this is what that means. So, ah, ah, thank you. Yeah. You know? and, and, and that's what's needed is someone who can interpret what you're doing and be your advocate while you're also driving the train on your own. Eric, if you ever need a hand, you shoot them to me. I'll shoot them back. I'll do it. I, I, I found this in the, in the, at least in Pittsburgh, and I got to think it's everywhere because people like helping people. 
Like, yeah. We really do. We like teaching. We like coaching. We like mentoring. I was at a, at a job fair maybe two weeks ago, and I was talking to different employers there, and we were providing candidates to each other because the, the lady from a, a, a bank in Pittsburgh, she says, I don't have a, a place for this person, but maybe you do, and aren't we all on the same team here? And I thought, yes, we absolutely are. While I want every vet who's quality to come work for my organization, I, I really want them to just find a home. And so if I can refer someone elsewhere and they succeed, that, that's great. It's good for them. In fact, it's good for our brand, right? So why wouldn't we do it? Oh yeah, they're advocates for life after that. Yep. yep. You know, and what's what's so amazingly deep about that, Eric? That philosophy is a it's shared. Mm-hmm. So veterans, if you just heard that, there is a tribe out here. Yeah. You're not alone. You don't have to be alienated. There are guys out there that will help you. There's gals out there that will walk down hallways to each other and say, Eric. I don't understand this. Can you help me? Hey, Eric, I don't have any positions at this company, but you guys, aren't you guys looking for something like this? But here's the key though. They can only help you if you're helping you. Right. They can't do this. If you don't take the shot on the goal, you've got to get the soccer ball to the net where Eric is standing so he can grab it. You know what I mean? So you got to do that prep. You got to do the informational interviews. You got to look on LinkedIn. You got to recon the company, have some basic understanding of the mission and the industry. So, you know, if, if you target your resume to UPMC, but it's not targeted to Eric's insurance thing, wrong piece of munition, man. Like you put it down range, but it's not going to be effective or have the effect that you want because you didn't do the prep. So you got to do the prep then take the shot on the goal. Then the people can say, okay, bro, you're here. You're about three yards short, man. Here's an audible on the play. So we punch it in next time, right? That's good stuff. Wow. So in closing, Eric, as we wrap all this up, man, what have we not yet covered that you would just feel remiss about either you or the company or the state of transition or the state of veterans or the state of workforce, man. I mean, we're in unprecedented times right now. So what would we, what would we be remiss uh, if we did not hear from you, my friend? Uh, two things come to mind. Uh, one is that as you're doing your job search, and to all the veterans out there, and it goes to doing some research, but don't target your job search just based on a company or an industry. And I say that because if you would look at Bank of America and you'd say, I don't want to work at Bank of America, I'm not a banker. Well, you'd be forgetting that that's an IT company at heart. You wouldn't be paying attention that they have administration and project management, cybersecurity and logistics. They have all of that. They're big enough. If you look at UPMC and say, I'm not a doctor or nurse, I'm not doing healthcare. Well, you forget that I started as a project manager uh, and all the other components that go into any large organization. So don't think about just a specific industry, like unless you want to be a neurosurgeon, well, then that's what you got to do, okay? But for many of us, we're sort of generalists. And so think about companies and what services they offer and what they need and find out how you can plug into that. And then the second thing I'd say is, and this sounds harsh, but so be it, get out of your own way, okay? And so you got to realize if you are the one hindering your progress because you aren't doing the things that all those who've gone before you have advocated that you do. And so sometimes we're our own worst enemy because we have a resume that doesn't convey who we are or what we've done. We have an elevator pitch that doesn't convey anything about the value that we can bring, right? We apply for jobs that don't align with our expertise or our credentials. 
We don't have the industry relevant certifications that we know are necessary to succeed or at least open a door. So get out of your own way, right? I've had to do it myself. Uh, I know plenty of people who are listening have had to do it. We all got to do that in life. Find someone who will help you and they'll tell you when you're in your own way and then listen. Yep. Oh, man. I think it goes right back to get your coach, not your cheerleader. Right. And with that, I mean, wow. Um, thank you, Eric, for taking the time with us, Doc and I, and the, really the MTA audience, because that was just jam packed with tons of stuff, tips, tricks. And here's the, you know, I love the uh, artillery fire reference. I mean, I think that's going to speak to a lot of people as well. So any final parting shots? Well, for me, I very much enjoyed this and I appreciate the opportunity to speak about my company and just veteran uh, transition in general. It's an important topic and I know we all want to help, right? It's a community. To your point, Doc, it's a tribe. It's absolutely the new tribe. It still exists outside of the military. Find it, get in it, and you'll find someone who will help you. Amen. Well, hey, dude, thank you so much for uh, spending some time with us and talking about UPMC and talking about you and the career and your candor. And I mean, uh, there's going to be more than one of us out there that listens to this. And it's like, man, that episode changed my life. So I, I appreciate it, man. And it was amazing to meet you in person. So likewise. All right, brother. Okay. Thanks, gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in and spending a bit of time with us at the Military Transition Academy powered by Vets to PM. If we piqued your interest, but you want more details, please head over to the website vets2pm.com and see if we can help prepare you for a better tomorrow or a future meaningful and lucrative career.